Hello, welcome to the Rookie Wind, the final podcast of the season. I'm uh, here with Michael. Uh, afternoon. Afternoon. Af- afternoon. Uh, it's a sunny day. Can I? That's, that's positive, isn't it? Yeah, it's sort of got that balmy end of uh, end of season feel to it. Uh, feels like we should uh, should be having a barbecue and a few beers, quite frankly. So we're sat outside Vicarage Road after uh, Watford nil, uh, Manchester City five, and uh, uh, I, I don't I don't think that's that's equal to the worst I've ever seen Watford lose. Uh, what in terms of the scoreline? The scoreline, yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, six one. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Well, seen six one this season, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, I mean it was an absolute battering, wasn't it? And Manchester City took their foot off the gas, and it could have easily been been seven. Uh, Guerrero missed a sitter, and you know they could have, quite frankly, could have had as many of they uh, as they wanted this afternoon. Um, I'm not really prepared. I think it was a bit harsh booing them off at, at half time because when you look at that side um, defensively, absolutely nothing to offer. We literally had no no men to go in there. You know, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're facing one of the best teams in in Europe with some of the best players in the world, some of the best attacking and attacking midfield players. You know, you've got De Bruyne, you've got Sane, you've got Aguero, those guys, your company, uh, Yaya Toure, and we've got no defence. No defence. It was always going to be very, very difficult, and it was exactly as as we anticipated. I think the day got off to a very, very bad start. There was obviously the late, late rejig with Mariapa not being fit, and he was a late, late removal. Brandon Mason made his way into the side, uh, who was on the bench, and then instead of either leaving it as five, uh, six subs, it sort of decided to put Rene Gilmartin on the bench. So they had two goalkeepers, and for me, that just set a real bad, chaotic, panicked, laissez-faire, um, amateur start to the game. We were in the pub before the game, and we saw two uh, teams come out. One that had Mariapa. Yeah. And the club was like on tw- club Twitter account. It took a while to actually find one to come out. The Wild Reserver went, oh no, with Mariapa, and then it disappeared. Yeah. And the club put the final one out. Uh, it's that sort of feeling of yeah, the, the ultimate feeling was I don't know what to expect. I don't know what's going on. This it, it was almost like this. That's exactly the way that the Watford team should come out and and what it should be for how this season has ended. Yeah, it felt suitably chaotic, really. I just You don't put a team out in the Premier League with the world, eyes of the world on you with two goalkeepers on the bench. It just looks ridiculous. And I thought that was, I don't know, I think it's wrong to call it a passing shot from Matsari, but I think what it did do was summed up quite nicely the state of the relationship, really. I don't think um, anyone really now is sad to see the back of, uh, of Walter Matsari. And yeah, you could tell that today. Perhaps he, perhaps he should have gone before today, I wonder. Yeah, I thought his parting shot was uh, to leave Deeney yeah, on the bench, um, which was probably the, the biggest um, shot he could have, uh, could have done. And then the way he acted uh, and the way it sort of happened, you know, it was just so tainted. To, uh, you know, I've never, ever felt that sort of bitterness in Vicarage Road for the last game of the season. Well, I don't, I don't think it's wrong to call it... Um, Bitterness. I think. I think it's just a bit resigned, isn't it? And um, I don't really feel any bitterness or, or you know, or ill will towards Matt Sorry. At the end of the day, he's a professional who. You don't. You don't. But there was a lot in there, though, in that stadium. Like the, when he went, when the, when the referee had to go for for a uh, a word with him. Yeah. The the, the cheers, the the ogling. Yeah. That's not. That's not anywhere. You can't get around. That, that, that was terrible. No, that was great. That is football. Yeah, it was lovely and fun. Yeah. Humor. That's that's exactly how it should be. And he, you know, you could see what was going to happen, and I thought it was an absolute open goal for Watford supporters, and luckily he delivered. I thought it was a very, very funny moment. 
let him know. What that did was it let him know and it let the watching world know what Watford supporters feel about that relationship, what they feel about the head coach and his departure in a way that isn't hissing and spitting and sort of... I saw a picture of a of a, of a of some sort of um, banner saying, get out of our club, you're a disgrace and all that sort of stuff. It's way, way, way over the top. And he's a professional, he's a football coach who hasn't, and it hasn't worked here. It hasn't clicked for whatever reason. Some of it's his fault. Well, a fair bit of it's probably his fault. There's communication issues. We've had injuries. At the end of the day, it's something that just hasn't worked out. And I, I think it's wrong to sort of linger too much on any, any bitter feelings. I don't think anyone would wish him ill will. No. But what I would say is that it just feels a little bit like sort of everyone had given up really at this bit and that, and that sort of having two goalkeepers on the I don't want to go on about it but having two goalkeepers on the subs bench just sort of if, that, nothing, if nothing else sums up the sort of where the club are at at this particular moment at this particular day then then that did let's let's go with the great thing about the game uh, well the, the, bit, the bit the bit the bit of the game that really felt like this is the end of the the season apart from the sunshine of course uh, was uh, Three young Watford boys from the academy on the pitch at the same time. Yeah. Uh, Brandon Mason, who started. Yeah. Uh, Andrew, very long name that begins with E. Elephatherio. Go on then. Elephatherio, is it? Oh, very good. Uh, and uh, in the end, uh, Dion Pereira came on. Yeah. Um, it, you know, it had that classic Watford feel to the last game of the season. The, the two boys at the back, especially, didn't look amazing, dynamic, and game changing. And are they going to start next year? No. But do you know what? They played exactly the role that for their positions that they're meant to play in, showing that they've been housed and developed in the right ways. The next thing is, how do you get the sort of flair off them to make them Premier League footballers? But they just did the job properly, you know? Didn't look out of place at all, didn't look phased by it. I like the way that... Uh, is it Elephatherio, Elephatherio? Anyway. It's I better like, than me, mate. I'm like going to go with that one. I like the way that even at 5-0 down, he was sort of clapping the, the good balls and applauding the applaud the linesman for giving an offside decision at one time. You know, and it was the most dead of dead rubbers. We were losing 5-0. But he was still sort of... And this may sound silly, but taking it seriously, he's still obviously very focused on the game. And I, I, I noticed that and enjoyed it and liked it. And, yeah, like you say, there's, there's three out there today. That makes it six today that have... Six this season that have broken through into the... the first team squad and, and, and played first team football so again as as it was under Sean Dyche as it was under Malky Mackay it has been through necessity it has been um, because of injuries and uh, and that sort of thing but pleasingly as you said when they have come in they haven't looked like you know wide-eyed school kids they've actually looked like um, professional professional footballers which they should do they are professional footballers but you wouldn't really feel bad if any of those guys had to come on in another game, you know, if we had another game next week and we had to start one of those guys, I don't think you'd feel too too worried. Did you mention Niang and his sort of yeah the way the way that that's an end to a, a Watford uh, player Watford time like I've never seen before. I I'm really crossed with with Niang. I was over on the Elton John side today and there was uh, for City's fifth, they broke away and it was from a throw-in in their own half down the Man City right. Brandon Mason was barking at Niang, and by and by he was saying, come back and mark, I can't remember who it was, drop back and, and mark, oh no, go forward and mark. Anyway, he was telling him to mark his man. Once he told him, twice he told him, three times he told him, and he was 10 yards away. He could hear him, absolutely not a flicker. And he didn't move, he stood there on his heels, Manchester City got possession where he should have been, broke up the other end of this uh, uh, and scored. He was, I thought... Say so as a disgrace is probably a bit a bit harsh, but I don't really think there's ever any excuse for looking disinterested. And he just moped and lolled around the pitch um, all game. You know, he had a couple of little bursts, one early on, and then uh, a couple of bits of skill late on. But quite frankly, it was one of the most 
depressing performances I've seen from anyone in a Watfordshire in a long time. And I was thinking, as, as his performance in, in quote marks sort of unfolded, I sort of stood on this, sat on this podcast, talked on this podcast about how he, what a what a great signing he looks like he might be, and how we need to sort of um, we need to to, to to keep hold of him for next season. I would drive him to wherever he wants to be myself right now. I was really frustrated. Uh, don't need that sort of nonsense around the club. Um, and the sooner he gets away from Vicarage Road, the better. Well, that's the, uh, the, the rundown of uh, today's game. But this, this main podcast is our top ten of the season. From now on, Michael, we're celebrating right. what we can. But we are going to be celebrating uh, the season that has just happened. A podcast made by Watford fans, fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. Before we, uh, we look back, let's look forward and uh, speak to one of the, the wisest words we've had all year on this podcast. Our seventh season is uh, doing From the Rookery End, from young Arlo. Mike's surname is Parkin. He has a son called Arlo. And this is our feature, Michael Parkinson. It gives me great pleasure to welcome once again to Michael Parkinson, Arlo. Arlo, how are you? Good. You're good? It's the last one of the season. Does that make you happy? No. It doesn't, right. OK, well, that's good to know. Now, listen... Watford, the season's over. Watford have had an OK year. We've stayed in the Premier League. But what would you like to see Watford do next season? Mm, go to the top of the league. Go to the top of the league? Win the championship? If they stay up there. Yeah? Yeah. Do you think they can do it? No. You don't? You'd just like to see it? Yeah. All right, mate. Listen, have a great summer. Thanks Actually, very much. Oh. I do. You do think they can do it? Yeah. Brilliant. Excellent. Well, on that positive note, Arlo, thanks very much for joining us. Have a great summer. Thank you. Bye-bye. Maybe he knows something about next year with this this po- uh, this positivity. Does does he have good contact with Scott Duxbury? Do you know? Um, I'm sure uh, Arlo has got an extensive black book of contacts. He doesn't share everything that he discusses with club officials with me, <laughs> probably because he knows them on the podcast. Doesn't want to give too much away. But yeah, what what I liked about his enthusiasm was over the last couple of days. I've been sort of I've been saying to everyone I talk to, I'm looking forward to the end of the, the football season. And then I put the radio on uh, this morning on Radio 5 and it wasn't, there wasn't a sports show on. They think, oh no, we've got no football for ages now. <laughs> so I am going to miss it. And uh, yeah, Arlo's definitely looking forward to the new season, uh, as we all should. So let's look back on the, uh, the season that has just been in our top 10 of the 2016-2017 season. 10! Probably the toughest one uh, of all the things that happened this year and for many years to come was the death of Graham Taylor. We discussed it on the podcast uh, for one special episode uh, and we're not celebrating his death, of course. We're celebrating what happened afterwards and their reaction. And from, from the club and from the fans, this has been... Uh, it was a wonderful... As, as, as those moments can be, it was a wonderful time. Yeah. Um, uh, the days after Graham's death. Yeah, I mean, and it was such a seismic event. It really should be, you know, in terms of the size and weight and importance and 
gravitas of the event. It is the number one thing that happened this season, but obviously we're trying to make this a, a highlights thing and there's no way we, we can make make something so upsetting and so sad and, and so distressing number one. But yeah, it was... Um, I was thinking about it this morning and I was thinking about him this morning about how this season will be remembered and it and it will be the season that, that we lost we lost Graham and um, as we as we found out at the time the the outpouring of emotion from from Watford supporters was was visceral it is very real it was um, very emotional it's very 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 raw and not just Watford supporters but the world of football mourned um, Graham's passing and that was quite not rewarding but it was comforting and I hope I said at the time and I, I maintained this day I hope that was of some comfort to to Graham's family I'm sure they knew how well regarded he was but I think this will really have driven home what a special man he was not just in Hertfordshire not here just here at Watford but but the world of soccer association football football the whole sport loved this man um, and he was so important for us and we I think a lot of people realised. I had people tweet me saying, "I didn't realise what a great man Graham was." I don't. I haven't heard these stories before. Um, no wonder you lot loved him so much. And it's like, it was just, yeah. If one good thing can come out of this untimely, upsetting news, it's that the, the watching world, the wider world, got a real sense uh, of what an incredible man he was, and how lucky Watford Football Club were to have him, and how we as supporters of Watford Football Club were, have, were to have him associated with our club. For so long, he, um, you know, it still it still feels quite jarring to me. I'll see I'll see a picture of him or whatever. It'll come up in conversation, and it's one of those things. It still feels a little bit unreal. Um, someone, you know, absolutely integral to my younger life, and you know, ever since I started watching football, he's been been a massive part of my life. And it and it, and he's gone, um, and it's um, yes, yeah, deeply saddening. It affected me quite quite a lot, and it, it still does. So. Absolutely massive moment, but yeah, like you say, something a moment that, that Watford fans should take great pride in is the, is no, is, is, is not the right word, it, yeah. but it is it was a coming together and almost it's the the essence of what a football club should be. And he he brought everyone together, um, and the club were dignified, the supporters uh, were, were dignified, and yeah, it was it was a special a, a special emotional visceral. Um, time that, that, that no one will ever forget and he'll be missed um, forever. We'll have the, the game against uh, uh, Aston Villa at the uh, end of July, part of pre-season and uh, the statue uh, that will be outside Vickers Road uh, more information on that it will be coming I suspect in the, in the next six months um, so again he, he will never be forgotten uh, at Watford Football Club Nine! A fake HSBC letter <laughs> Could have been an absolute worst moment of the entire season if everything had sort of gone the way and we'd been found guilty of fraud. This letter, this fake letter that uh, was sent to the Football League yep. two years ago, three years ago, come now. When 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 Gina Pozzo took over full yep. ownership of the club uh, as an individual, the chairman. Raphael River yep. was the man who uh, in charge of that letter uh, and he was left his position as chairman and Scott Duxbury was moved up uh, to be chairman and uh, chief executive. We, we dodged a bullet there. Well, you say that. I mean, what was great about it, it was another little bit of pantomime uh, play, wasn't it, surrounding Watford. I think everyone with a sort of vague sense of... Um, keeping their feet on the ground and taking the time to, to, to avail themselves of the facts would realise that this wasn't 
couldn't really land us in too much hot water. The letter was designed and was provided to show Watford, to show that the owners had the necessary funds to rub the football club. As you mentioned, they've ever since the, that letter was sent, they've been investing in the ground, have been investing in players in the Premier League. There was never any question that they had the had the had the funds. So anyone trying to anyone trying to press home the um, any sort of punishment for that was gonna was gonna find themselves coming unstuck um, and it also gave it's quite good fun isn't it now as, as we see it as sport when fans of opposition clubs say, oh you're gonna get deducted points for this once to start with it was the loans then it was this then it was because of this dodgy letter and so it's quite a good opportunity to sort of um, wave back at the the watching world the lesser educated watching world uh, looking back in but great great sort of pantomime entertaining stuff and it does feel I mean, it's obviously, it's not the case. There's lots of sort of skullduggery at other football clubs, but it does feel like it's the only sort of thing that could could ever happen at Watford. I do have to say, you mentioned Scott there, and uh, it's too late to make it into the top ten. Um, but I would urge anyone who didn't hear his interview on Radio Five today, Sunday, probably about one o'clock, get the podcast while you can, because um, Scott was on talking to Mark Chapman and Kevin Kilban, Chris Waddle, and Mark Lawrence, about why. There is the turnover of head coaches, why the club is run like it is, and he stopped all of them in his tracks. He turned them all round. It was a cold, calculating, logical description of what we do here, and it was brilliant. Every single pundit didn't have an answer. They were like, oh, actually, yeah, that sounds really good. <laughs> so you mentioned Scott there, and I think that's really, really worthwhile. Listen, if you didn't manage to listen to it, get it on, get it on the Radio 5 live podcast. The Sunday of the Man City game, anyway. Well, well worth a listen. But yeah, the letter. Ha! Brilliant. Jason can't be with the podcast after the game. Uh, he's moving house tomorrow, so there's some packing to be done. I know how that feels. You can help Mumbai Niang with his move as well. <laughs> uh, so at half-time, I cut with Jason to talk through a couple of the, the top tens, like this one. Eight! A home win, 2-0 against West Bromwich Albion. It wasn't the, 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 most, uh, the, the greatest game in, the, in our, our top ten, Jason, but sort of a, um, an important game. It was very important, and, uh, and the way the whole victory happened, I think, um, put temporarily a bit of fire back in our bellies as a team, as a, and as fans, and as a club as a whole, I think. The opener, great goal from Niang. Almost voted it as my goal of the season, but I, I thought Pereira's was better. But then his pass for, for Dini's goal, was a, it was a, a moment of sheer quality. One which, unfortunately, we've probably not seen enough of from Niang this, uh, this season. Dini battled to force the ball over the line past Foster. But the big moment was was when Britos got sent off. You could almost see it coming. It wasn't yeah, the, the challenge, the, the red card, the second yellow and the red cards. But then the I think us, the fans, then sort of realised we needed to drag the team kicking and screaming over the line to, to secure what ultimately was a very, very important three points. And we did. I the fans were as fantastic as the, as, uh, the players that night. It felt like a, the, probably the last game we had this season where it felt together as, a, as, a, as the players on the pitch and the, and the fans in the stand. Uh, it came after a 1-0 uh, home win against Sunderland and, and it, it was always a bit of element, actually, now you look back on it, Jason, that it was almost like, um, oh, we could do even better. This season could end on a high and keep going and keep going. We didn't, of course. We got the points that we needed against uh, Swansea and that's been it ever since. But it was it was Niang's shining moment, I think. Yeah, we, we haven't seen a great deal from him and the more... We've gone on and now so we know he's not coming back next season. You just felt like he was playing for his place in the shop window, just trying to either maybe to squeeze his way back in at AC Milan or, or find another club to go to because it's yeah been pretty much sort of a, a one-man show from him from there on in. Seven! Harry Hornet 
diving and upsetting Wilfred Zaha on Boxing Day. It was a great Christmas present. It was amazing. Poor old Wilf. I mean, uh, I was on a Crystal Palace sort of preview podcast um, before the the game at their place, and they they said, "What?" Well, the only question was, "What have you got against Wilfred Zaha?" And I said. <laughs> Mate, you've got absolutely nothing, nothing against Zaha. How can you have anything but pity for some uh, for someone who gets scared by a massive hornet and throws a tantrum live on TV at a mascot? I thought it was absolutely brilliant. It completely um, demolished Zaha. And um, from someone who has tormented us, you know, I think he's a great footballer. I do think he goes down too quickly. But without fail, he torments us. But that performance from Harry the Hornet completely took away all the mystique, all the power that Zaha has over the club and the fans and uh, completely normalised him in, in one fell swoop. It was it was terrific. And just to see Sam Allardyce getting all flustered about it as well, the world was laughing for that sort of 24 hours. Um, we, we all stood with Harry uh, and laughed square in the face of Wilfred Zaha for a good 24, 48 hours. It was brilliant. Six. The January transfer window which ended with the Arsenal away win. And originally I had, because it was a fantastic, because we signed Tom Cleverley and Niang. Yeah. That sort of changed slightly yeah. over the last couple of days. But, but, let, but the Cleverley coming in, the sort of timing of that, and then leading into the, that Arsenal game after the terrible performance in the FA Cup against Millwall, yeah. just was a wonderful, wonderful Unful game to watch. Yeah, it was a real Philip, and well, actually, it was more. Well, let's talk about Cleverly first. Superb signing, uh, integral to our scraping over the line. I think without that signing, I think it's probably fair to say we may well have struggled even even more than we did. Um, I think that Arsenal game over the last six games has gone up in importance because it became very apparent that if we hadn't won that game, I'm pretty sure we would have been relegated because that night a lot of the other teams below us won. And I think the gap between us and uh, the, the, the relegation zone was comfortable before the Arsenal game. It would have been down to three points had we lost that game. We won it and we kept a healthy distance away. Um, and I think it's fair to say that game saved us. Because it was the first half in particular that really stood out. Yeah. Um, and I think we recorded our little our reaction that was on the podcast of, of that game. Because it was some of the best feelings from, from this season. Joy unrefined. It was so unexpected, um, well, much like the FA Cup, much like the FA Cup win there. We just didn't expect to get anything. We've gone along for a few beers, a bit of time with, with some mates, and, and lo and behold, we, we, we start really well, Kapoo's on fire, and you blink and we're 2-0 up. And what this game, what this season's lacked, I think, has been those real hardcore celebrations, you know, the ones where you knack your legs on the seats behind, the ones in front. Um, you end up hugging someone from two rows away that you've never seen before and probably never want to see again. Um, but the that, man, man I hugged, we've been seeing each other since. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need to announce our civil partnership. <laughs> I do. Um, it's, uh, it was just one of those, yeah, like a guttural, like, yeah. great. We just, and then it had, it, obviously we had the, uh, the tense, the tense uh, well, most, most of the second half really hanging on for, for that win. But yeah, it was a great, great feeling, especially as it is, you're right to put it into context. Millwall the week before, or well, the couple of days before, and we were scratching our heads as to you know where we where do we go? We thought we had a good squad, we thought we had good players. Yet, yeah, that's the sort of performance they turn in at Millwall. Well, we saw the Watford that Watford can be away at Arsenal, and uh, yeah, it gave us a genuinely, genuinely unforgettable evening. It was great. Five. Troy Deeney passing his 100th Watford goal. 
There were many times in the last uh, uh, seven years where you would never thought Troy Deeney was going to uh, make that. Not just because he had a spell away for a long summer spell away. Um, he, he, you know, he started off incredibly slowly. You would never thought the Troy Deeney we saw for the first couple of uh, first two seasons that he was ever going to get this many goals. Exactly, and I, I think I've referred back to this this game before Bristol Rovers away in the League Cup um, when. I think we were already 1-0 up. We got one up early and he had a chance to make it too. And the goal was gaping. He was he was there ready to pop it in the back of the net and the Troy of today would have taken it. No questions asked, but he was hesitant, unsure of himself and he completely fluffed it against a League 2 side. Yeah. Um, and we know what he's done ever since and you know the, the things he's been through as, as a person and what it is and we've documented that many, many times on the podcast. Um, but I suppose that, that, that it's a landmark which certain players at him you want them to have. It is, it's nice. It wasn't the most exciting of goals um, or the most exciting of games. A penalty against Palace, oh the irony. Um, but he, he finished it with a plomp uh, and they all count, don't they? It doesn't matter whether they come off your behind, your knee, your head, your foot, whatever. You've still got to put it in the back of the net and those 100 goals have got Watford well where they are today. Jose Holobas's Thunder Blaster away at Boa on the 16th of October, my birthday. It was a, a great, uh, great thing to watch and to, to make my birthday. I think it's right that we recognise Holobas in this, um, in this, in this podcast, really, because I think he has been one that yeah, he's had his critics this year, and me among them. You know, when he he wanders off after being substituted, it takes him three minutes to get off the pitch when we we need to get an equaliser. But overall, he is someone who's a winner. He's committed to the cause. He always wants the best for the team. You know he's always going to leave it out there. His discipline has left a little bit to de- be desired. Although when we really wanted him to get a booking, yeah, he didn't do it. The most disappointing thing of this entire day Comfort. was that he could not get the record Comfort. for 15 yellow cards. Comfort. Just one massive kick. Right, yeah. yes. 88th minute. Go and find a Man City player and kick him. Yeah, all it <laughs> needed. But fair play to him. What I, don't, what I do think it does is it showed as the season's gone on, he has improved from a from a discipline point of view. Um, and he's someone who wants to win. I think he's someone, you know, I don't necessarily think he's got any any more affinity with Watford than any of the other recent acquisitions. But he want, while he's here, he evidently wants to win. And I think... Um, I don't think that level of commitment is prevalent throughout the rest of the squad. So I think it's absolutely right that the Holobas gets a mention. I think he's come on defensively and he's he is a huge attacking threat. You can, I can see him itching to get the ball on his left foot and, and often he'll, will, he'll try and play in one of the, in inverted commas, sort of more attacking players instead of having a crack himself. And to be perfectly frank, I wish he'd, wish he'd have a dig more because... We saw it. We saw at Middlesbrough um, what can happen, and that was important because it was a team about around us that we had to take points off. It was a tough game. It was pretty scrappy. It wasn't good to look at, but we won, and it was all down to Jose. Uh, and of course, he had a bit of an argument at the end with uh, Capu about uh, how to finish the game off, which yeah. looked like a great proper yeah. argument about something that didn't really matter at that point because we just won the game. But uh, he was fighting for for every little scrap, uh, making sure everything was perfect, which which is what we love. Fire in his belly, and that's what the rest of them need. And yeah, we need to. If we were putting together, I think we've asked we've asked this before. What um, bits would you have from each player to make a super player? I'd have the sort of the raw emotion of Jose Holobas and instill that into uh, into every player. Well done, Jose. Three pre-season, Jason. You said the biggest scout for what for this year was we Manchester United, and we got it. We got it with the three-one home win uh, against Manchester United. Um, what a fa- what a 
at the time of the season, during those first, what we think, you know, the, the games of hell we thought it was going to be with zero points in the first seven games of the season, it was a fantastic win and a fantastic feeling afterwards, wasn't it? Hey, it was. It was amazing. Um, I think my, my greatest memory of that day was the fact that afterwards I had to go uh, get to my brother's house for a, uh, a family social um, and bumped into a Man United supporting friend of mine so, and, and made sure uh, I made myself known to him. <laughs> I was in this vicinity. Um, it, it was. It, it, did feel, it did feel special. These wins against the big sides don't come along too often, particularly as, as in history we've been one of those clubs that doesn't spend much time in the Premier League. We've had a few over, over the seasons, but I think that we've grown up with the Premier League being all about Man United and all about Sir Alex Ferguson. They were the dominant force at the start of the Premier League. So to, to see them and their superstars and their superstar manager come down here and we teach them a lesson. It wasn't an easy game. We had to ride our luck a little bit, particularly in the second half after they equalised, but we did. And can we say that was a moment of tactical genius from Walter Mazzari bringing on Zuniga to score the, uh, the important second goal? Yeah. After two touches. Uh, it took him two touches to score the goal. That was how brilliant the choice uh, was by, by Walter. Um, but the thing I love about that game the most, I think, is it sort of came after, you know, that we talked about the, the hell that was the first seven games. We lost at home to Arsenal convincingly. We sort of just lost at home to Chelsea. Um, but that was the game where actually, again, going back to that, that West Brom game, we thought that was a game and that's what could be continued. We thought, actually, this is the Watford side that could be continued uh, throughout the rest of the season. Did we, I mean, we, we mentioned the Chelsea game and we, we caused some problems. And it wasn't until they brought Fabregas on, just like last week, uh, that they, uh, they started to cause us problems. So, and to be fair, I say the Man United game was difficult at times. In the first half, we probably deserved our 1-0 lead. We, we played some good football. We had a great opportunity through Igalo, remember him, uh, which he didn't take. Uh, he, didn't take he didn't take it, he absolutely missed it by a mile. And you thought, oh, maybe that's the chance gone. But we continued to, to push and press and cause them problems. And it was well-deserved when Kapu got his goal. Uh, and, yeah, ultimately, in the end, we, we deserved the three points. We were fantastic that day. And, yeah, you thought that, well, what can we achieve this season if we can put teams like so Man United to the sword? Maybe this isn't as high in the, the list if it wasn't, let's, let's, let's say, for not for Watford, but for Manchester United uh, uh, falling off and not being the team that you know, started this Premier League and, you know, under Sir Alex Ferguson. This might be higher in, in the list. Um, but, uh, yeah, 3-1 at home to Manchester United with a finish off by Troy Deeney in the dying minutes uh, with a penalty, just summed it up. And it was a wonderful day this season. Ahead of the Manchester United game, which some people might find uh, surprising, was the comeback away at West Ham, the brand new stadium. Uh, two goals from Antonio, we were put behind, but then Iggy, remember Iggy, Jim Brim? Yeah. Uh, Dini, Capu, Holabas, in 20 minutes, we'd turn that from 2 0 down to 4 2 up. Uh, and the best substitute appearance of the season which I think lasted all about 32 seconds, was uh, Stefan Akaka. Yeah, you talked about the, maybe the Arsenal game was, was, was brilliant, but I don't know, there was a... I think maybe how early in the season that game came, and it was actually the week before the Manchester United game, it showed a great fighting Watford team. Yeah, and at that stage we did, we did wonder whether they had it in them at 2-0 down. We were like shaking our heads, oh, well, this is probably what we expected. We have got a day out, we've been to the Olympic Stadium. 
we better better go home. But yeah, they turned it around admirably, and um, yeah, it took a took a mistake from from um, from West West Ham. Perhaps James Collins again had a had a tough afternoon against us, but there was a brilliant finish from Troy to to level it up. And yeah, it was um, yeah, it was another one of those really memorable memorable moments. Any anyone that was at that game won't forget it in a hurry. Great celebrations. Um, watching the West Ham fans beat each other up all around the ground was uh, was mildly amusing. Obviously, hope no one was hurt. But uh, yeah, that, at that stage, so early in the season, we thought, well, all right, we've got a bit of we've got a bit of fight us, uh, about us. We're not just going to roll over and have our tummies tickled. Uh, we're going to we're going to commit in these in these situations, seemingly hopeless situations, because at one stage when they were turning up, you know, they were Rabona in and yeah. all sorts of stuff, and we thought this could be very very messy very very quickly. But we, we dug in, ground out uh, uh, the, the first goal, got the equaliser, and then absolutely romped it in the in the second half, and could comfortably have had had five or six. So yeah, that was a standout performance, uh, and one that we, at the time we hoped gave us sort of real good hope for the for the future. Uh, Is it actually the only performance that was sort of followed up by a, another great performance because the following week we played Manchester United. You know, there are those occasions this year. We've talked about. Yeah, the, the West Brom game. We've talked about the Manchester United game. The, yeah, that wasn't followed up by a great result. We went away to Burnley and, and really didn't turn up to that game. Uh, and the, the West Brom game didn't really carry on throughout the rest of the season. But that West Ham game, you know, it, 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 it lifted that team at the right time when we were in that he- hell of the first seven games of the season. Um, and then I think sort of spurred them on that they could then do it against Manchester United the following week. Yeah, and it did. Yeah, it was a really important, really important little. Um, uh, part of the season because, like you say, let's be be wrong to remember to forget. Sorry that the first start, the start of the season was very, very difficult. We've had a we've had a tricky start and a tricky end. So, um, yeah, it's worth you know as we sit here putting the whole season in context and and remembering it wasn't all just about these last six games. There were tough times that we actually did quite well to to come out of and 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 we deserve credit for that. One. This was a very hard number one. To pick, I think we've talked about some great moments, but we wanted, you know, going back to number ten and Graham, we had to pick something that felt right in many ways for Graham. Sometimes it's more about it's about more than what just happens on the pitch. Um, I think football supporters ultimately want to see their their team do well on the pitch, but I think the majority also want to feel part of something that means something and something special and something they can identify with, believe in and be proud of. So we decided to make our number one thing of uh, this season the sensory room in between the Elton John and the Vicarage Road stand which opened against Everton which is part of work that the Shippy family who are from Sunderland, uh, what they've been doing with Sunderland and other clubs, uh, part of the campaign and Watford uh, have opened this sensory room. If you listen back to uh, pod uh, 7.19 uh, you will hear uh, our interview that we did with them uh, and with Dave Messenger uh, at the club about the room and the difference it's made. I spoke to Dave this week uh, and asked him how many families has it helped and the answer is 40 yeah. in this season alone and there's 40 families that could not have enjoyed uh, or uh, uh, taking children with uh, autism to a game uh, but they, they have and many of them have then since Dave tells me moved into the ground uh, for 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 real, but they would never have sort of been able to do that. And those families coming together and allowing more people to come to see Watford is exactly what Graham would have wanted. Yeah, there's a lot of the, the question we get most at Watford as supporters is 
do you feel like you've lost your identity? Do you feel like with the with the new owners, with the transient nature of the head coaches, with the high influx and turnaround of of players? What's you know what's the identity at Watford? Well, I'll tell you what the identity of Watford is. It's a club that may not get it may not show in the limelight, but it's someone that puts their money where their mouth is. It's easy to say you're a family club. It's easy to say you're active in the community it's easy to, to say you care about um, access issues and the needs of, of less able fans or or with other disabilities it's diff- more difficult to do something with it because you have to invest money you have to invariably give up other space at the ground you have to give player time and so on and so forth and this the sensory room it's just an absolute perfect example of how the club actually recognises the importance of doing stuff that they don't have to do but they can actually make lives better and when they say make lives better, I don't think we're overestimating to say that. You say there's 40 families who have been able to bring their their sons, daughters, whatever, relatives to, to games that wouldn't have wouldn't have been able to. I've brought my son and my daughter to, to Watford. I kind of take it for granted. But going to watch Watford, going to watch sport with my family and my friends is is one of the most special things in my life. And not to be able to do that would be heartbreaking. It would be really upsetting. And Watford recognised their role in people's lives you know it's important it's a ritual it's a religion and people weren't being able to do it until until they dedicated that whole corner that whole section which could have been executive boxes at thousands of pounds a pop per game into into that wonderful sensory room and i would recommend people listen to the the interview if they haven't heard it it's it's great it should make you feel feel proud as a watford supporter and yet on the face of it it might sound like a strange option for number one because not everyone gets to not everyone gets to use it not everyone gets the benefit of it but what it does do is it reminds everyone what a special football club this is and how proud everyone should be to be a Watford supporter and how right we are to get behind them um, and to you know it's gives you that warm fuzzy feeling back again it's um, players are going to come and go the managers will come and go um, but we'll always be here, the supporters will be here, and it shows the link is still there. They think it's important and they act on it. And I was very, very, very proud that day, remain so now. It's, it's great and a, and a worthy number one. I think Graham Taylor would have been proud of it, and I think everyone would do well to think about Graham, think about what the club stands for, and be thankful, I think, be impressed and be proud of, of what they continue to do. This club's going in the, in the right direction and long may it continue to do so. A podcast by Watford fans for Watford fans. This is From the Rookery End. Thank you so much for uh, listening to From the Rookery End this season. Uh, we're always pleased when uh, the count of downloads goes past one uh, and even happier when it gets the numbers that we get uh, but it's, it's been a fantastic season where we've been trying to get as many Watford fans on the podcast as possible uh, not just uh, Mike, Jason and myself some thank yous to go out to uh, Jordy Connor Kelly Sommers David, DCW Kieran Taven Ollie Wicken David Levy, Andy Parkin, and Tim Watlake, and all those guys have you know been a, a co-host of some sort um, or host even a couple of them uh, for, uh, over the, the season. Plus also uh, Andy Lewis, Braddy Hayden, Pete Bradshaw, Francis Lynn, Paul Goss, Jamie Parkin, Colin Mace, Mike Smart, Michael Morizzi, as well as the Denver Hornets, uh, Paul Kent and Jeff, uh, and Lionel Burney and Adam Leventhal uh, from the stuff we've done with them at 
tales from the vicarage it's been a very weird season uh, but thank you again for listening keep in touch across the summer on social media at what podcast on twitter facebook and uh, instagram do send us uh, any thoughts and stuff that you have about who the manager is going to be who it ends up being and we'll see you for the eighth season of from the rookery it's going to be great it's got to be it's got to be and come on you all.